My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. So we are in uh, Mark chapter 15 today, uh, and a lot going on in the text today. Uh, some things you might be familiar with, some things you might not be familiar with, so a lot more like PowerPoint slides than normal, but um, we have that as an option, so that's nice. So there we go. So we'll start like we do each week with uh, reading through the text. So we'll read through Mark chapter 15. Uh, I was talking with the Blairs just a minute ago, and I said uh, the crazy thing about this week was that I was, I was practicing uh, reading through, and I realized, I'm like, why am I going so much faster? It's because I can breathe when I'm reading now. So there you go. It actually does make a difference. So we praise the Lord for his faithfulness in all things. So Mark chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest said delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. And divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him reviled him also. 
And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the twelfth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and of Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who also himself was looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and laid him, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Mark chapter 15. So let me ask you a question by way of introduction today. Have any of you ever seen or read any historic, like uh, there, there's pseudo-historical accounts where you, you pick out a lesser-known Bible character and you make up a backstory for them and you kind of flesh that out and you feel like, well, what would have happened to this person? Well, like, these types of literary things happen, like Mark 15 is the chapter where that type of a thing happens, right? So if you just, let's just run through the characters real quick. So you've got the chief priests. So I've seen these where, uh, you know, there's somebody that's, uh, that's really a Jesus follower that just kind of goes along with the crowd and like, well, they really, eh, okay, all right, yeah. And then you've seen these with Pilate. Uh, you've seen these probably uh, with the centurion, right? Because the centurion had this like, really remarkable experience that was unusual for this person in his, his backstory. You may have seen this with Joseph of Arimathea. You may have seen this with Mary Magdalene or Mary, the mother of James, the younger of Joseph and Salome. But, but one of the most interesting, you may have even seen this uh, with the two thieves that were crucified on either side of Jesus, right? What was their backstory and how did they come to be there? Uh, but one of the most interesting that I think that has ever happened uh, and I've seen a couple of these, is Simon of Cyrene. And there is a lot of speculation about Simon of Cyrene. I mean, there is just, it's unbelievable. Um, so let me ask you a question and see if anybody can get this in right. Who is the most famous actor to ever play Simon of Cyrene in any movie? I'll let you think about that one for just a second. So let's go to the next slide, Dave. I'm going to show you where Cyrene is, because if you're like me, you've never been to Cyrene. Anybody been to Cyrene? Anybody been to Cyrene? No? Cool. You're like me. Awesome. Uh, so this is a map of the Roman Empire, so the shaded parts of the Roman Empire. The colors are just different parts of where uh, different specific stages and phases and whatnot. But the, all the colored pieces were in play when Jesus was being crucified. So I just want to walk you through just some, some basics of how to conquer a part of the world. 
Um, so, so the Roman Empire was centered in what town? Rome. Okay, great, good. It was like, we're going to start real easy today, guys. Uh, and Rome is in uh, Italy, right? So here's the boot, right? The boot that we all learned in school. Uh, Rome's here. And do you notice that Rome is kind of on the edge of a, whatever that is, is that a peninsula? Yeah, I, I did not do well in geography. It's my only C in high school, and it was well-earned. Um, it's on a peninsula, and so you can get to it easily by water. You can also get to it fairly easily by land, but you, like this is a harder attack than all this water. So if you have a major city that is accessible by water, you want to control all the ports that you can get to this city from. So this is one of the reasons why Rome was very interested in this northern portion of Africa right here. And because Africa is where Cyrene is, which is right here. This is Jerusalem over here. Um, what could one assume about Simon? That he was African, right? Okay. And that it kind of, you're like, okay, this makes sense, right? So um, the most famous uh, actor to ever play Simon of Cyrene is Sidney Poitier. There you go. Who is, like, if you have never seen Sidney Poitier movies, you should go fix that today. Like, just really go fix that today. Um, however, that's just an assumption, and it's not based on any historical fact whatsoever. So let me give you a little more historical context. Uh, Cyrene is obviously in northern Africa. There's actually still a city there today. It's not called Cyrene, something else. Uh, I couldn't pronounce it. I tried. I couldn't pronounce it, so there's that. Uh, but it was in the, in the uh, Greek, it's a Greek city in the province of Cyrenaica. Uh, it had a Jewish community where 100,000 Judean Jews lived. And they had been forced to settle there about 300 years earlier. Like, oh, well, maybe Sidney Poitier. Maybe not. I don't know, right? So we, we can make these real easy assumptions when we see things in the Bible. We just look on a map and we're like, oh, okay. But very possibly not. Right, so I, I only bring this up to just have us pump the brakes on assumptions when we read cities and locations in the Bible. Just want to make us aware of this. All right, let's go to the next slide, Dave. So verse 21 in Mark chapter 15, and they compelled a passerby. And in English, the passerby is a, a noun, and in Greek, it's actually a verb. It's just someone who was habitually moving here. And if if you put all of these pieces together, so Cyrene had 100,000 Jews. What time of year is it in? It's Passover. And what are you supposed to do at Passover? You're supposed to go home, go back to Jerusalem. So you put those two pieces together and you're like, well, he sounds like we've got an observant Jew at this point, right? Okay, cool, let's keep going. So Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and this... This made sense, right? Let's put that map back up real quick. Um, a great big chunk of all of this space in between Cyrene and Jerusalem is just desert. Like, it, it is not beautiful, lush, amazing. It's just, no, it's just country land, right? It just is what it is. Okay, thanks, Dave. So he's coming in from the country. And then there's this really interesting phrase, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Isn't that cool? What's Alexander and Rufus about? It's an identifier. It's an identifier, yes. Help me out. So a lot of, in a lot of places, especially 
Yes. exactly right. Audit trail, here we go, it's exactly right. Now, why, so assuming that, um, that Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, and Peter told him what to write, right, and the Holy Spirit told Peter, um, who, do, who would we think, just based on the, the surface of the text right here, who would we think is more well-known? Uh, Simon, Alexander, or Rufus? That's what virtually every Bible scholar would say, is that Alexander and Rufus were more well-known. They are the identifiers that peg who Simon actually was. Now, here's our problem. Simon, shockingly common name at this time. Alexander, shockingly common name at this time. Rufus, as weird as it sounds, shockingly common name at this time. Right? I, I would imagine most of you don't know somebody named Rufus. Does anybody know anybody named Rufus? He had an uncle named Rufus, right? A great, uh, yeah, I was going to say, we're, we've backed that date up quite a bit, right? I mean, you, um, yeah, I, I don't see and hear about little boys being named Rufus today, right? However, if you'll flip over to Romans chapter 16 real quick for me. Romans chapter 16. Uh, one of the things I love about the way Paul ends his letters is he just does this shout-out section, right? And like there's a whole, basically a whole chapter of this in Romans. So verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, servant of the church of Sincrea. She may welcome her in the Lord. Verse 3, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Uh, verse 6, greet Mary. Verse 7, Andronicus and Junia. Uh, verse 8, uh, Ampliatus. Uh, 10, Apelles, greet those who belong to the family of uh, Aristobulus. 11, greet my kinsman Herodian. Uh, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Uh, greet those workers in the Lord, Trif uh, Tryphonea and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Verse 13, greet Rufus. Rufus. Is it the same Rufus? Let me, give you the, the, let me give you the true answer. We have no idea. Okay. However, a timeline would work shockingly well for when Paul wrote this relative to, like, oh, okay, so we're, we're connecting. And, and what we sometimes forget is that the Bible didn't end, like, the story of Christianity didn't end when the canon was closed. The story, can, like, these characters lived on and did other things. Some of them were very well-known believers in their day. And most Bible scholars would look at this text and go, Alexander and Rufus were probably fairly well-known. You know, there you go. So these characters are not just characters. They're actual people, right? Which I think is kind of you're like, oh, we may meet these guys one day. Kind of cool. Kind of cool. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. And so, and then if anybody who was there and observed the scene would have read this later, 
That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yep. There is, like for a, uh, a private eye, verse 21 gives you a stunning degree of detail to go and chase down and to validate and to verify. Um, these things are true. It's amazing. It's awesome. Absolutely amazing. All right, so this is kind of the background on who this character is right here. So they compelled, who, oh, sorry, who's the they? I skipped over the pronoun. Can't believe I did that. Second word in the text, and I skipped over. Yeah, the, the, the Roman soldiers, right, that we just, we just got finished talking about. They, this group of 600 men strong, they led him out to crucify him. All right, so they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of the Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Whose cross? Jesus' cross, right. Now, the word cross shows up three times in Mark chapter 15 and once in Mark 8.34. So I do want to slip, flip back over to Mark 8.34 and make sure that we all understand what Jesus did not mean. Because sometimes I find it helpful when you're explaining something like, we, we meant this, but we did, explicitly did not mean this, right? If you ever get into project management and you want to define scope, define what it is and define what it is not. And you will not spend multiple millions of dollars installing the wrong software. There you go. All right, so here we go. Uh, we've got Mark 8, 34. Uh, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, there it is. I'm supposed to carry around crosses. Nope, 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 nope. Very representative speech here, right? We are not saying I need to go pick up a physical, like Simon of Cyrene was not the first person to obey Jesus in this command. This would be a shockingly poor reading of the text to come to that conclusion. However, Simon does carry the cross of Christ. So let's ask the question, why did somebody need to carry Jesus' cross for him? Okay. Absolutely. He, he didn't have the physical strength to carry the cross. Because the cross would not have been, oh, we picked up a two-by-four at Lowe's. And, like, that's, no, 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 no. This, this would have been a massive piece of wood that would have been very, very heavy. Yes, ma'am? Yeah, can't afford the two-by-four. It, it would also probably just ruin, at least for the roughly ruin the experience That's a good point. Uh, the, the Romans, the soldiers would have gotten in trouble had Jesus died before the cross, right? Because they, they had perfected this whole art of torture. Um, you know, you got the, uh, you got the, the great uh, empires of the past, the Assyrians, who really were the first group who came in and said, all right, we're going we're gonna to start torturing people, right? You excavate the ruins of Assyrian cities and you find piles of body parts, outside the city walls. And this was a sign to those who would consider coming and attacking the city, like this is what's going to happen to you if you, if you come at us. Like, oh, well that, okay. Well the Assyrians taught 
a nation who taught a nation who taught the Romans. So this had gotten perfected over hundreds and hundreds of years how to really torture a human being. And here we come. So Simon has to carry the cross of Christ. So verse 22, and they, who's the they again? Soldiers. The soldiers brought him. Now, the pronouns get tricky right here because you might think the him is Simon of Cyrene or you might think the him is Jesus. Uh, both work, but Jesus is actually the focus of the narrative. So, Because uh, Simon's got to get to the same spot that Jesus has got to get to because the cross has got to end up at the same spot. Yes, ma'am? Oh, that he was dehydrated, absolutely, yeah, because the Roman soldiers are not going to care for his, um, uh, his personal needs at this point, right? Uh, what would be another, I'm going to pull this thread for a second, what would be another sign that Jesus might have been dehydrated? Uh, when your heart bursts, that happens. Um, but what did they do while he was on the cross itself? They offered him something to drink, right? Yeah. Trying to prolong the experience. Absolutely. All of this is a carefully crafted process to maximize pain and maximize life. Like we want this to actually occur over several days. It, was, it would be common for somebody to actually survive on a cross for a couple of days which is one of the reasons why Pilate was so surprised that he died already, right? All right, so back to 22. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha. All right, let's talk about Golgotha. All right, Dave? Uh, so we looked at this map last week. Um, we believe to... I like this map, but I don't like this map. I like this map because the labels are really easy to read. I don't like this map because this wall was not actually really there yet at that point. This wall came later, so it's not a like, flawlessly great uh, map. So uh, they were at uh, the Praetorium. Uh, they lead him out to Golgotha. Um, you, you may have heard these referred to as the Stations of the Cross, right? the different uh, spots where Jesus did something. Some uh, faith backgrounds celebrate different parts of these. Uh, so it's a, it's a fairly short walk over to Golgotha. Uh, and if you grew up, if you grew up with a, um, with a King James Version of the Bible, you might have heard, and you probably, if you grew up in church, sang songs about a place called Calvary. You've heard this? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying cavalry. Cavalry is like riding a horse, right? Calvary, oh, you don't ride a horse like this either. This is the, the miming that I would do for you, right? Uh, Cavalry is riding a horse. Calvary is equivalent to Golgotha. And you might be thinking, how in the world did we get Calvary out of Golgotha? All right, let's go forward two slides, Dave. Um, so in the Greek, if you, like, if you looked in the handout, you would see that this is tapas uh, cranion. And if, if you look at cranion, is there an English word that if you, like, squinted your eyes and s squished a little. What, is there a word that you like go, what's kind of close to that? Cranium, right? Yeah, some of you played this game, good. If you got that, you're probably good at this game, so there you go. Uh, when you take tapas cranium and translate it into Latin, you get calvary locus. Locus is the place, calvary is the translation of 
the cranium. It's actually not the skull is a sloppy-ish translation because skull implies the entire head. It's actually just the, the front part. It's like the, the rounded part, not all of the rest of it. And then when you take this Latin and turn it into English, what you get is Calvary in Luke 23, 33 in the King James. Uh, if you were to, in your ESV, flip over to Luke 23, 33, you would not find the word Calvary. You would find Golgotha because it is closer to actually the original Greek where you just transliterate the Greek word into English and you let it ride however you have to pronounce it. So that's how you get Calvary out of like Golgotha. And for me, most of the time, I look at a word and I'm like, okay, that's got a few of the letter, and you look at Calvary and Golgotha and you go, not really-ish? I mean, we're not even, you, you squint and you know, it's just not, it's not close. So, so this, is, this is where this is. Uh, and Golgotha was just basically a, a little hill um, and that's, that's about it. It was, a, it was a spot that was slightly elevated so that you could see it from a bit of a distance. And that was kind of the point, right? You wouldn't want to do this in a low spot. You'd want to do this in a bit of a higher spot because the Romans were all about the publicity of these things. It wasn't just, I'm going to maximize pain and maximize life. I also want to maximize publicity. Because when you see what the Romans can do, you don't want to do whatever that guy did. Like, that would not be a good choice to make. So they led him out to the place called Golgotha, which means, so, so we, we get a hint of who Mark is writing to here because Mark translates it for the person who wouldn't understand what Golgotha meant, which means place of a skull, place of the cranium. All right, verse 23. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. Now, I don't know the last time you had wine mixed with myrrh. I'm going to bet a nickel you probably had never had wine mixed with myrrh. If you had, that's weird. There probably wasn't a reasonable reason for you to do that. Just saying. There, we would today, if we wanted, so I'm getting ahead of myself. If you look at the word myrrh in your handout, uh, smirnizo which sounds like a, a really cool drink, but it's, it's not. Uh, it, this is embitter um, uh, as a narcotic. You see the parenthetical there? Th this is the idea of I want to dull your senses just a little bit to extend your suffering, right? Because you can actually go into shock from too much pain, and this can have a really negative impact on your lifespan, on your blood pressure, on your, what your heart's doing. It can have all sorts of negative implications. So they're trying to dull just a little bit to extend this life even more. Now, what would have been the problem with Jesus taking this? Said he wouldn't drink from the vine until when? Until he returned. Okay, great. What else? He had to feel the full pain of Right. That's exactly right. So he's got to stay true to his word, and he can't go dulling the wrath that the Father is about to pour out on him on the cross. Because if that is dulled, then did he really take all of the wrath? And if he didn't take all of the wrath, we have a terrifying problem because that would mean that there is wrath left for us and this 
my friends, would not be good news. So Jesus not only had to endure all of this, he had to endure all of this with no painkillers whatsoever. Like, like it's just, it's, and, and I, don't, I don't want you to think that, it, well, it was just some barbaric time and the painkillers weren't good. No, 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 this would have worked. Like, this would have worked really, really well. <laughs> you know, there are, there are natural things in the planet, on the planet, that God has provided to us that will actually accomplish a lot of really good painkiller-oriented uh, results. Now, that's not what we would do today. I have a Publix that uh, is a quarter of a mile from my house. Uh, my wife heard her back this week. Again, please pray for Julie. And uh, she needed some pain meds. So I went to Publix, and I got a box. I didn't go foraging out in the forest behind our house looking for myrrh, right? No. Like, there's a much simpler process that I would just go do today. But this is, this was the process. That would mean going outside. That would mean mean going outside, and I love you, dear. Uh, But I would send Caleb to do that. No. Um, Yeah. (laughs) No, I would... I would bribe your kids. I would send them, give them some cash. <laughs> uh, the Blairs and I, we, what, 100 feet? 100 feet away from each other is what we live, so it's kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't know how we got into Publix, but there we go. Uh, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And I, I will tell you uh, something that I have been think more aware of as we have gone through Mark's gospel is that every action that Jesus takes as well as every action that the gospel says that he doesn't take is the most holy perfect thing you could do in that moment it's just amazing and I I will tell you in this much pain knowing what was coming Pump me full of whatever you have. You want to test something new? I'll be your guinea pig. Bring it. And that is not what our Jesus does. And this is one of the most beautiful things that he does for us by denying this narcotic. He says, I will take the full weight of the Father's wrath for us. Unbelievable. Unbelievable love. And then we get to verse 24, the crescendo of this gospel, and they crucified him. So we have been leading up to this and leading up to this and leading up to this for 156 weeks. So at this point in the narrative, Jesus is now on the cross. And I talked about this a little bit last week, and I won't go into a lot of detail today, but his uh, his nails, uh, and there's some really unfortunate translations that talked about the nails were in his hands the Roman hand extended to the bottom of the wrist so like if you if you put a nail in the palm of your hand it will not support your body weight you will have horribly disfigured hands and you will not be held up on a cross but you can actually it's it's crazy because uh, when God designed the human body he designed the bones in the wrist if you place a nail in the appropriate spot there is enough strength right there to hold up the human body. So put a nail right through there, a nail right through there, nails through his feet, and he's up on the cross. 
And this is where he stays for the rest of this part of his life. Okay, so this is where we are. The nails in his wrists and his feet, bearing his entire body's weight. So they crucified him and divided his garments among, the, the, among them is actually not in the original, but it's just added for clarity here. They divided his garments, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And you might be thinking, well, that's, a, that's like a really goofy detail to add. Like, what in the world's that about? Right? It's just divided. Why wouldn't Luke go? Oh, why wouldn't Luke? I've, already, I've made the Luke reference. I've got Luke in my head now. Why wouldn't Mark give us more detail about the actual crucifixion? Why wouldn't Mark say something else? It's exactly right. Psalm 22. Let's flip over to Psalm 22. Ooh. I don't ever do this, so I'm kind of proud of myself today. I put the bookmark at Psalm 22. <laughs> Somewhere my wife is laughing at me. Here we go. Uh, all right, so let's, let's, I'm going to read through probably the first uh, half of Psalm 22 and just see if anything jumps out and sounds familiar about what we've been talking about with Mark chapter 15. So Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What feels like we've just come right out of the chute here, right? Yes. And remember, when a Jewish rabbi would quote some portion of Scripture, he's not just talking about that portion of Scripture. He's talking about the part that comes after that as well. So, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, and they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint, and my heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots." Now, I have mentioned this several times, and I'll, I'll stop here with this. I, I, I think that the prophetic writers did not have a full and complete picture of everything that they were writing about. But I got to wonder, when David made it to heaven and he saw what had actually occurred, 
how God had used him when he wrote this song. Unbelievable. So what is Jesus doing? <laughs> what, are these, what are these Roman soldiers doing when they're casting lots? They're fulfilling prophecy. And I hope that you have heard this unrelenting drumbeat of fulfillment of prophecy as we have gotten closer and closer to the cross because that is what Jesus does. He fulfills prophecy. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. All right, I'm going to do one more, one more verse real quick. Verse 25. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. Now, daylight saving day, right? Here we go. The third hour. What does the third hour mean in English? Just like 3 a.m. maybe? Yeah, sure, cool. Is it 3 a.m. or p.m.? Could, could be either. Yeah, right? I don't know. It's it, the 24-hour clock. It, third hour would be 3 a.m., yeah. So we, you have to kind of get like, oh, well, there's, like, you've got to be specific here, right? But it would have been Roman calendar. Hit the next slide, Dave. It would have been Roman calendar. Ta-da! The Roman clock. Here you go. All right. Yes, it started at, it started at midnight. But the Jewish day starts when? 6 p.m., right, sundown. Right? The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening comes first, then the morning. That's the definition of the Jewish day. So the sundown begins the day for the Jew. You go all the way through the night. You have the first watch, the second watch, the third watch, the fourth watch. And then at dawn is 6 a.m. One, two, third hour of the day is about 9 a.m. Right? So when it says Jesus was crucified in the third hour, there you go. Something else later on happens in the sixth hour. It's about noon. At the ninth hour, something happens. It's about 3 p.m. So it gives us a framework for how long Jesus was actually on the cross. It was also part of the mixture because they wanted to get Jesus down off the cross because Passover started. Yes. When did Passover start? At 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Because at this point, the Jewish leaders have a problem. Right? They have a problem. So there's a clock ticking, which I wonder, you know, you can play I wonder all day long with this stuff, but I wonder if the Jewish leaders knew that they'd offered him the wine mixed with myrrh to dull his senses, to drag this out, to, or like, what are y'all doing? Hurry this thing up, right? So you can play this game all day long. All right, so we'll stop there, but I wanted to show you the clock. Um, I'm going to try to create a version of this that's actually prettier because there's a bunch of junk on that one, but we'll get there. Sorry. Design matters sometimes, so we'll see. All right, so that's, uh, we'll pick up, Lord willing, next week in verse 26, uh, and we'll go from there. So we've got, uh, you should have a weekly update at your table, so please, if you would, uh, put your names down on that. Uh, make any updates for the prayer requests. Uh, please continue to be in prayer for Miss Amy Velosin as she recovers. Um, we did, I'm going to scold this for just a second, we did a shockingly poor job this week of signing up to bring meals for her. So that is still on the Sunday School uh, website, uh, Sunday School Facebook group. So if we could do uh, better this week, that would be great. But uh, once you have prayed over a section here, once you have documented any prayer requests, put your attendance down. Uh, and those of you online, I would, I would ask you to put any prayer requests in the comments. We'd love to pray for those as well. Um, you are free to go and to worship this one. Who said no? 
to relieving himself of pain, and yes, to absorbing all of the Father's wrath for us, so that there is none left for us. Like you read through Mark chapter 15 and you might go, oh my gosh, this is, this is really bad. Yeah, that's also the greatest news ever written. Because that means there is no wrath from the Father left for us, which is really, really good news. So that's the lesson for today. Thanks, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.